What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast. I am your host, Charles Coleman, and I'm so glad to have you for another exciting episode. We got a lot to talk about today. Before we get started, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you look down, hit that like button, hit that share button. Make sure you're following us on all platforms. That's Tidal, that's Apple Music, that's Spotify, that's whatever podcasts are heard. This is your new favorite podcast the new home for black brilliance. We're not just outside. We're not just all the way up. We're not in outer space. We are in hyperspace. So come get with us at the Charles Coleman Podcast. Super excited about today's show. On the couch today with me is one of my favorite members of the Dream Team. We got everybody. You know him. You love him. He's plush. He's fly. And today he's super fly. We got Cashmere Kurt in the building. So glad to have you on the couch with me today, brother. How you feeling? I'm well in your feeling. Everything good? You, you know, you, you, you giving them, this is fall fresh right here. Like, mm. This right here is just, yeah, yeah. the people out here, they just know what you're doing. That's right. You know, it ain't, you know, it ain't. And for those who don't, just ask somebody. Well, well. You know? So, you know, when I got, I got to ask you, right? Mm-hmm. For me, Real quick, because you know, you out here, you suited and booted, but it looks so comfortable. Like, you, it looks mm-hmm. so natural. Mm-hmm. When I was young, my mother used to say, there's no such thing as being overdressed. Mm. And so I was like a little, like, I didn't know it at the time, but I was like a little geek. I was walking around, I was like the, the penny loafers and the, I had, I didn't own a pair of Jordans, ironically, until I was like 32. Like, but like, sport coats? Yeah. Sport coats? <laughs> oh. Your man's was fresh. I was mm. du- double-breasted, single. I, I, I had it all. Where did where did this come from? Like, I, where did the comfort level of you just being like, "Yes, yeah, it's, it's a Saturday afternoon. I ain't got nowhere to go, but I'm gonna put this suit on and y'all gonna get this suit work." Where did that come from? I would have to attribute it to self confidence. I think um, I've always been cool with me. Yeah. So, so you was like, "I want to wear a suit. I'm gonna it. wear a suit." Yeah. Which makes it very hard for me to pick clothes out for in advance because I dress based on a feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to say. You do that too? Yeah, I do. I, it's, I thought I was a minority in that sense. I think we are. Because, I, you know, I'll have stuff in mind, mm-hmm. but it's very much so my pattern where I wake up. I might get out the shower and be like, nah, I don't want to do that. All the time. And so it hits me. I'm like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. Have you ever walked past an outfit you had laid out and picked something up? Oh, all the, all all the, the time. time. <laughs> all the time, because it just wasn't what I was feeling that right. day. It's a vibe. And somebody asked me, like, so what you wearing? I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to wear this. And then I show up with something totally different. And mm-hmm. they're like, you said you was going with it. And mm-hmm. I, just, I, wasn't, I wasn't feeling that. <laughs> right. I wasn't feeling Yeah. So when did you decide, like, today, I'm going to hit them with the with the swaddling clothes, because that's what you got on. You got a swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes. Yeah, you got on swaddling clothes. When did you decide to end up with the swaddling clothes? I don't know. It's just, like I said, it's just a vibe, man. You know, um, I knew I had to come see you. So I said, you know what? You know, I give you sweatshirts sometimes. I give you joggers, you know. All right. Sneakers. So today, today was, you know, you was giving that work. Yeah. I'm not mad at it, brother. I'm mad. Let's get into today's conversation. Our shortcuts. This is our conversation about news, views, and opinions. Stuff that you may have heard about, uh, but may not be being discussed. In mainstream, that's why you come to the Charles Coleman podcast to have these conversations. So, look, I know Charleston White is your man. My man. I know that is your man. So for those of you who don't know, Charleston White <laughs> is a online personality. He has unapologetic, like, just an unapologetic, vulgar, very in-your-face sort of diction, opinion, and, and, and a lot of verbiage. A lot of people, let me, let, me, let me tell y'all, if y'all are looking him up now and you find his videos, it's all not safe for work. So no. if you are around like others and you got a code switch, this ain't, the, the, the Charleston White is not for you, at least not at this time. He got into it with T.I. And he's like now challenging T.I. like online to like a boxing match. And it's, it's become this whole thing. And I feel like with him, a lot of times he's has stuff to say that's valid. He has mm-hmm. a lot of valid. I don't agree with him all the time, mm-hmm. but then a lot of times he has stuff to say that I think is valid. But then when he does stunts like these, the more he gets into this space where it's not just confrontational, because that's not new. He'll call people out and he'll say what he has to say. 
But the more I feel like he gets into this space where it's both confrontational and sensational, like he wanted to get into it with T.I. And I think he was like, uh, he wanted like a celebrity ref for the fight, like on some pay-per-view. I just feel like, yo, what are we doing, bro? Doesn't this take away from whatever else he's trying to do legitimately in terms of his conversation, what he talks about, what he's about? Like, I feel like it just takes away from it. I agree. I also feel like in the world we live in now, to do something great, you need funds. And unfortunately, this tactic, this approach has always been very lucrative when it comes to people, right? So not only do we celebrate the provocation of what he's doing, we pay for it. So mm. he can do this. It's, 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 it's kind of like soft shoeing, you know? He, he, he can soft shoe around this particular thing, get people riled up and hype, get his name out there, mm -hmm. do what he needs to do, and then goes back to his community work with but well, do you I think, think that he does do a lot of community work and that's important. I think that that's kind of sort of where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like me, right? Mm -hmm. I, okay, so I've been in community and done different things, done spaces. I feel like if I was to get into some crazy rap beef with like mm -hmm. 50 Cent or something wild, mm -hmm. my credibility is hurt. So even if I get the funds to go back and do what it is I want to do, people are not looking at me the same. And maybe it's because of my, my my formal title, I'm a civil rights attorney, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he's, a, like, what's his past? Like, he's like a past gangster or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, like, so maybe for him, he doesn't have that concern, but I just feel like when you engage those shenanigans, it delegitimizes your overall purpose. So even if you get the funds and you want to do right on some Robin Hood, you can't because you have sort of stained yourself by the way that you went to get it. Again, we're, you're, you're taking a, a, a formal understanding and putting it to an informal situation. And I think that's where it, it always gets confusing and jumbled up. So to keep it in context of what we're talking about, a Charleston White can find himself in a, in a very precarious situation and then lean on you for legal guidance. Mm. And that's how that tandem so makes that's sense. How it yeah, that's how it balances itself out. So he uses he uses the legit legit people as the buffer. Correct. You are, I'm gonna go get these funds by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. And you're the you're the raft, you're the life jacket. When things start getting crazy and that water gets murky. Hmm. It's an interesting approach. Um our next quick hit, our next shortcut is uh, you know, this may not matter to a lot of people outside of New York, but I think it's a story that even though it's focused in New York is we've seen it happen so, so many times. First of all, look, the cat's out the bag. We got a man here in New York who, for all intents and purposes, I don't think he knows what he's doing. I don't think he cares what he's doing. I don't think most people know what he's doing. I don't think most people are invested. Like, it's just like, it's just a wash. Like, we got a man in New York right now, Eric Adams. And I think, I, don't, I won't even say, and the reason I can say that is because I don't think anybody walked into this administration in New York, any New Yorker had high hopes. Mm. Like this guy is at like um, French Montana's album release party. He's up in Harlem. He, mm -hmm. he's, he's all over anywhere. And then, you know, people ask him for a schedule. He's like, I don't know what I feel like doing on a given day. What? That's like you and I getting dressed. That's not how you mayor. You can't mayor that way. Watch me. <laughs> That's his attitude. Watch me. Oh, I can't do this? All right, cool. Watch this. What are you doing, bro? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, he's he's in the news now because he and, 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 and David Banks, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Okay. Let me be very clear about that. They submitted proposals, like, in the proposals with people who they are openly involved with to get checks from the city. My guy, what are you doing? Mile like, here, baby. What you say? Mile here. Mayor now. Sit back. I got four joints to run this up. What's up? <laughs> Stolen credit card. We out here. What you need? <laughs> Running the city. What's up? Yeah, on the city's dime? Like, What's up? That's it. That's it. That's it. There's voters in there. What's up? I mean, all the after parties. What's good? That's what he's doing. See, see the thing is, pe see, people who are watching don't understand that this is a real thing. Like, they don't get, like, they think, oh, no, no, no. If you Google Eric Adams, French Montana, you will see him. He's at the album release party. That's right. Like, we ain't seen nothing like this since Kwame, Kilpatrick. 
Oh, you know how that ended and up. We know, <laughs> and we know how that ended up. Mm-hmm. I'm not accusing him of doing anything illegal. I'm just saying that for us, mm-hmm. being fast and loose with the with the political office don't really go, it don't really end so well mm-hmm. the last time I checked. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that, you know, the double, because I mean, don't get me wrong, he wouldn't be the first guy to be a little out here. I think it's because he's in certain spaces. Like, you partying with rappers, whereas if he was partying with Bruce Springsteen, if he was a white guy, mm-hmm. you're hanging out with Bruce Springsteen or something like that, people might be like, oh, that's cool. He's with Rod Stewart, like, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the, he's the hip guy. I, I feel like there's a different line. We can't be out here in this way and also not doing shit because there's that part too. That part too, right. So you're talking about a space where people are coming out of the pandemic. People are feeling very anxious. There is the 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 sort of anxiety that folks are feeling around this space that people are having a lot of trouble navigating. All of that... Mm-hmm is what you as mayor need to be thinking about. Where are you investing in social services? Where are you investing in opportunities to give young people something to do that they've been, you know, after they've been in the house for ostensibly two years? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what a mayor does. A mayor has a plan. A mayor doesn't say, I'm going to get up today and figure out what I want to do. But, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm defending him, but you just made If you're defending him, you defend him. That's cool. But I, I don't I, I don't have a dog in this fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, just clap it up. Eric Adams. If that's what you want to do. But um he's also been affected by the same uh issues that you brought up as far as the, the, the New York people have been dealing with. He's been quarantined for two years and dealing with the pandemic as well. He's a grown ass man, dog. Like it's so, very different. How is it different? It's different because he's still human. I'm not saying he's not. I'm saying that the development and the impact on development that, you know, you're looking at when you're talking about how the pandemic affected our young people who Mm -hmm. are in high school, who are still at critical ages Mm -hmm. of their social growth does not apply to him as a 60 something year old (laughs) grown ass man who had like a whole career before this. But clearly he's in after parties now. He's he's lit. Yeah, he's super lit. All right. So we're going to move on to our last uh, quick hit. You know, I I saw a story that, um, it was really of concern to me. There is, and, and, and I'm not asking on the political piece, but Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, one of his sons, consistently finds himself in the news. He is someone who has had challenges with substance abuse mm-hmm. and challenges with a number of different things. And, you know, of course, conservatives, the right wing, they want to like, they want to make it as big a thing as possible because they want to connect it to Joe Biden. So... What's the where's the where's the the stop line in terms of you're a public figure, your spouse child is going through something or they do something that's fucked up mm-hmm. or they're out here in a way that's like challenging, mm-hmm. like why is this news? Am I missing something? Like I actually don't care, especially for an elected official. Mm-hmm. I didn't elect your son. I didn't like, and I and, and yo anybody who knows me, I'm not here caping for Joe Biden. I just don't necessarily understand why, if it's not connected to the job that they're doing, and I know some people are trying to make loose connections, but talking about his challenges with substance abuse, like, that's a really personal thing. Why are we, what are we doing? Why is that? Where is the line? When He's not the story. He's only a story because his dad is somebody. Right. Right? Like, there are literally millions of people who are struggling with that. Mm -hmm. We ain't talking about them front page. It's because of his dad. Right. So... When do we get to the point that there's just no limits? I think when you become that figure, right? It's it's kind of like um, the sacrifice, I guess you could say, like it, to be become a, a person of of, of interest <laughs> in society. It's the whole thing. Nothing is off limits at that point. You forfeited that right. It's unfortunate, but do you think? But I mean, do you buy into that? Like, is it relevant to you? Like, do you care about an elected official what their spouse? child is into if it's some illegal stuff do you do you at all see that as a reflection of them wow when you say the word reflection i would have to say yes it is a reflection Mm. of him but is it something that i i want to harp on and judge or well you said it's a reflection that's a judgment it's not really i mean that's just a fact like (laughs) that's your that's your kid that's your offspring like that is a reflection of how you raised him you never heard that was as a kid i mean of of course but like kids get into all kinds of shit so like he, the fact that he may struggle with substance abuse, like that's it, it. you, you see it as a reflection on, on, yeah. on his parents. Something. Mm. I, I, you know, I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> but 
Wow. You raised the fiend, huh? Wow. Wow. I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's going to make it, but <laughs> in any event, that's going to, we're going to move on and that's going to bring in our contributor segment, Smoothest Cash, cash Rear. Uh, this is our time in the show where our contributors get to wax poetic. I, I, I think, I think about what it is that they want to talk about. Uh, what do you got for us today? This is your, this is your time to shine, Kurt. Just don't, just don't shine too much. Yeah, yeah. Let me tone it down a little bit. Um, <laughs> Wow! Being that we started off today with a with a fashion kind of a, a note, yeah, I want to stay in that vein. Um, you know, Balenciaga's back at it again, baby. Oh, your you people's is outside again. They outside again. But I got, I got a different perspective on it now. Okay, come on with it. So, we like music, right? I think fashion right now, on a whole, luxury fashion. Of course, you know, people say they, they culture vultures, they steal from the blah, 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 this, that, and third. That's cool. But I don't think they're stealing anymore. I remember one time we had a, a, an analogy of we leave the culture on the porch. Yeah, and people are just, just signing out. Yeah, right, right, right. But they're no longer signing in and out at this point. There's no monitor there no more. So instead of them stealing now, they're just looking at the blueprint of how certain, uh, I'm going to say hip-hop culture, and how it's, how it's grown over years, right? So very innovative when it came out going against the grain, solidifying this space in the world, right? Okay. Then, of course, like anything else, it has to evolve and change a little bit. So remember music when sampling first came out? Yeah, it was a, it was a thing. It was like a big, it was a, it was a big conversation because it was, it was different. It was different, right? Right. But still dope, right? Sampling was dope. But then we got into that whole understanding of, well, how do you compensate those that are being sampled from mm -hmm. and that whole kind of thing. And then we moved into auto tune and all sorts of stuff like that. I feel like fashion is doing that right now. They're just sampling. And I think that's, that's the definition of all these different collabs that's happening out here now. Sampling garbage packs though. Yeah. We're going, we're going to work with hefty. We're going to make this pop. Really? Yeah. Is that an evolution? Are they creating something different? Right? Like, cause if we really want to talk about this from a musical perspective, mm -hmm. There are people who, and this is where sampling became an issue. There are people who made music because they took elements mm -hmm. from different songs mm -hmm. and they made them to a point where either you didn't know where it came from or if you really understood music, it had to be broken down to a point where it resembled what it originally was. But it was something altogether new and fresh, mm -hmm. right? That's where the greats are. That's where you get your Pete Rocks. That's where you get your... Molly Malls, your large professors, your mm -hmm. premieres. Mm -hmm. They take their your rizzes. They take mm -hmm. sounds and they just give give it something entirely new. Correct. But then you get people who just like they literally sample 20 seconds of a loop and just loop it. And it's the same thing that it was, just with they changed the drums. That's it. I don't necessarily give that credit from a creativity artistic space. Like not like that. And in fashion, mm -hmm. you took a bag of potato chips, put a strap on it, and now it's a it's a luxury purse. Mm -hmm. How you don't see it? No, I I don't see it in terms of like I'm I'm evolving because you talked about sampling as an evolution of music. Mm -hmm. I don't see it as like how what's what's the evolution of that? Well, I, I'm I'm not I I had to use the word evolution when it came to the music okay. because it was a, it was it was introducing something new. With with fashion, all they're doing is following the hip hop blueprint. Is what I mean by that. Gotcha. So when like when things were original and what it was, that's how these companies became elite companies, the luxury brands I'm talking about, right? So then now, once they're elite, they, they kind of get out of reach, allegedly, right? Do you think it's, do you think in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, do you think that it's something that they're doing consciously? Yes. In terms of following that model, like, yes, really? Because it works. Hip hop is a billion dollar business now. It works. Wow. Wow. Well, so does that make you any, la any less or more apt to support it? With a grin, I pick and choose what I want to support. Right. Um, I think right now they're just in a space where they're being super duper egregious, you know, with yeah, the, with they're the flagrant. They're flagrant, flagrant. Right. But I think it's going to it's going to it's going to tone down and they're going to pull back and get back to where it needs to be. I also have a uh, as a person in the business or formerly in the business, I'm concerned about their design team. Why? What are they, they're not designing anything? Yeah, that's why I'm not. That's why I'm not impressed. Right. But they. You know, that doesn't mean that they're not creatives. They, they're, they're coming up with some really dope stuff. It's just not being pushed. So where does this, you know, again, uh, just the thing I'm always going to ask mm -hmm. is, 
where does this take us in terms of that space? Prayerfully, you know, it, it'll it'll give us another time forward, you know? Another opportunity for somebody to emerge. Correct. Because nobody's doing anything different. So mm -hmm. now the person who does step forward, like a Virgil, where he was headed, or where he arguably was, mm -hmm. is now primed to just like really change the game. Correct. All right, well, there you go. That is uh, smooth as cashmere. Uh, and he has brought us our fashion of the day, our contributor segment. So we're going to move on uh, to our main conversation. We are going to introduce something special. Um, really, really, really excited about today's conversation. I, uh, when I tell you that I've literally been looking forward to this probably for longer than even I realized, it is absolutely true. I have um, one of the most esteemed political minds in the space, someone who has really contributed to shaping my own ideology, getting me to rethink a lot of different things. And I just really am looking forward to it. So we're going to give a warm round of applause to my coworker. I always say I work with dope people. So my coworker <laughs> and someone who I admire greatly, Mr. Michael Steele is here. And he is super excited to have you. What's going on, brother? Hey, brother, I am well. It's good to be in your neighborhood. Finally. It's good to see you. It's, it's, you know, really it's, it's, there are a couple of things that I wanted, that I have to mention to viewers before we get started. The first thing is, I really was, it, it was excited. I was a little bit nervous before we started talking because, you know, look, for me, it's like, yo, this is Michael Steele. This is former chairman of the This is a big deal. And I get along. And Michael, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I, I will gladly tell your wife, like, hey. Listen, hubby, the dude's a big deal. He's a really, he's a really big deal. Not just in Maryland, like he's a big deal. Like overall, like he's a big deal all over. And um, I get, I get on the, I get on the, you know, the recording, and he's just, you know, there chilling in the Saturday casual. He's like, "What's up, player?" And I'm like, "This what's up." I, I'm, I'm feeling good already about this. He, when he hit me with the "What's up?" Now he tried to say, "Yo, I'm just a brother from the neighborhood." I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not I hey, street. Hey, street. <laughs> I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. Um, let's get right into it. You know, I'm really appreciative of uh, your time right now. And I think that there is so much that can be discussed and should be discussed, particularly as it relates to the impact and the uniqueness of the impact that these races and the general scope of where we are has on our community. Did you, did, uh, you, did you say racist or racist? I <laughs> it's actually both. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't, I wasn't clear on uh, what you know, it, it, it seems like, that's a great question because it seems like it's indispensable, which actually gets, gets right into the point of where, you know, I kind of wanted to start. And that is for Black voters, for the Black electorate who... And, and, and you're someone who I really wanted to have this conversation with very, very badly. For Black voters who feel as though the Democratic Party may be either too progressive or may be reaching out a little bit farther than they're willing to go, or maybe sort of overlooking them as their base, right? Because that's a big thing. But don't have any interest at all in MAGA land right. and cannot reconcile themselves to support a party that won't divorce themselves from Donald Trump, radical extremists and, stream, and extremism on the right, right, where do we go? So you asked the, the, the question, which uh, is, is, is really the important one, where do we go? Uh, and given your choices, where do we go? I'll tell you where you go. You go to the ballot box. That's where you go. Because at the end of the day, you still have to participate in this system, particularly given the fact that, as you just accurately laid out, there we are at a precipice um, between um, – our own selfish concerns, our mm -hmm. self-interest in our communities, and okay, yeah. what do you what have you done for me lately? Said Janet Jackson, right? Asked Janet Jackson, and and w democracy, which requires 
our participation in order to answer that question. Mm. What have you done for me lately? Um, so I appreciate so much. And it's really ironic for me as someone who has really kind of worked in this space for a long time, making the case to, to our community um, as, as a black man, as um, uh, one who was raised by sharecroppers, uh, sharecroppers daughter, mm-hmm. lived in a segregated city known as Washington, D.C., grew up in turbulent times and um, settled in the Republican Party, which is our political home. That is our original home. That is Absolutely. the original political space for, for, for African-Americans. Uh, to, over the course of my, um, my life in politics, make the case, y'all need to expand your view of the world. We need to play in both sides. There's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why you should be here with me. That fact is never more true. It is still as true today, given how screwed up the GOP is, um, as it was 20 years ago. But here's the difference. I would not advocate for someone, for a member of our community to join this party in this current state. Yeah. Because there is no respect for your blackness here. There is no respect for those things that you're concerned about that you think Democrats are ignoring. We, you know, the adage always was, Charles, Democrats, uh, you know, take black vote for for granted. Uh, African American, the Republicans ignore it. Uh, Well, the reality of it is that's always been the case Mm -hmm. until and unless those moments arise where we assert our authority. Uh, you want the vote, come get it. And we saw that in the the 2020 cycle um, with Joe Biden uh, and the black vote of South Carolina. Uh, and, and how and that that was such a powerful moment for me, man. When I'm sitting there watching this thing unfold real time and black folks say, OK, you got you dance with all these other folks, but we right here and we've been here. So what are you going to do for us now? Not what have you done for us lately? What are you going to do for us now? And that was such a powerful moment of black political expression that, um, and I think we're now seeing it, it sort of expand itself out, particularly with black women. But the reality still remains. I get the other side is nothing to dance with yeah. because they're taking you for granted. But when you look at, where Republicans are, um, in order for that not to become our reality, for that not to become uh, the political oper- operationalizing uh, space, you, you're going to have to you're going to have to stick with those who are advocating for democracy, so mm-hmm. that you can get to that point. Okay. <laughs> deal with those problems. Right. We don't have answers for, on the Republican side, we ain't got no answers for, for the problems in the black right. community because we're now using black people as a, as a showcase for crime. Right. right. So there are a couple of things. I got I to gotta put this in and then I'm going to come back. I can edit this. Um, do you hear me? Oh, yeah, I hear you. You don't, Why do you need the earphones? Um, I don't know that I do. Uh, let me see. I just... Okay. Do you hear me? I do. So yeah. Do and if you hear me, then I don't know what you need your phone. Yeah, there you go. All right. And you look oh. better without them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> um, you said so much, and, and so much of what you said, I, I greatly appreciate. Uh, I was one who said, quite frankly, that when House Majority Whip, James Clyburn, who happens to be my fraternity brother, uh, gave the endorsement to Joe Biden. He literally altered the course of history. He changed. He did. He literally did. And 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 you know, for for whatever you may think of that, I just was very struck by the the gravity of that moment and what it did pre South Carolina primary to post South Carolina primary. But I got. I, I really want to talk to you about some of the other things you said in terms of you know, taking it to the ballot box. And mm-hmm. and I think the last piece you said was actually really profound about the fact that like, listen, before we approach this conversation about where we are individually, we have to save democracy or secure democracy because democracy right now is in peril and the continuation of that will blow everything else that we're talking about out of the water. Right. You talked about 
the notion of sort of like our individual interests versus those of the community. And I think that there's a, there's a great book called Steadfast Democrats mm-hmm. um, that's, that's written by uh, two political scientists. I'm, I'm blanking on their names right now, but if you Google that, you you now easily find it that talks about that and, that, and, and sort of how that contributes for better or for worse in terms of our mindset and the pressure that we feel to vote for Democrats in mass. Now, I will say that what you just put forward is probably the most compelling argument that I've heard in meaning the, 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 the saving of democracy, the, the secure, the securing of democracy is probably the most cogent and persuasive argument that I've heard in recent times as to why it's important for us in this moment to support Democrats. That's probably the message that needs to be out there. I mean, because I mean, what, and what does this say, Charles, when the Republican is putting out a better message on, on and that, the, and that, the Democrats than the Democrats? Right. And that leads me to my very like essential point. Democrats have a dual sided problem, in my opinion, that is going to threaten to lose a number of voters on their on their on their side from their base if they don't figure it out very quickly. They have a messenger problem yeah. and they have a message problem. They assume that somehow the ivory tower ideology around what is going to be beneficial for all of us translates into plain speech for the average voter in community in ways that's going to energize them and get them to the polls. And that's simply shown itself not to be true. We are a community that increasingly desires and is demanding certain tangibles. When I saw police reform languish in the Senate and Chuck Schumer and Senate Democrats weren't willing to really go to bat for it after the House had passed Right. George Floyd right. Police Reform Act, and then it went to the Senate, and you know, by fall, by by the by the before the holidays, it was dead in the water. I was livid. What was so damning about it was the lone black Republican senator, yes, uh, Tim Scott, yes, um, didn't fight for it. Right, right. Uh, he carried the water of of the white. Republican uh, leadership, sure, uh, and did not because um, I, I know if I were in the Senate, if I won that Senate race in 2006 from Maryland, and I, I told Mitch McConnell this uh, after I lost, I told him I said you are the luckiest man in the world. He said why? He said because if I'd actually won this race, <laughs> be a very different conversation. Yeah, been a very different conversation for me in the Senate um, because I don't play well with others when it comes to my community. It really, I've always been that way, and. I think it was very telling that, and it, to, to me, Charles, it, it spoke to a number of things about the ineffectualness of black of, of black political leadership uh, to to one extent, um, because in the, in moments like that, we need we need something more than rhetoric, and I, I don't know how else to express it, but I always feel it always boils down to the same platitudes about, um, you know, basically we tried, but we couldn't get it done. And yeah, we got it done in the house, but then when it got to Senate, you know, it got all up in procedure and we needed 60 votes and we need, I'm like, can we, can, can we fight for something? Can we actually draw blood somewhere? I mean, not literally people. So don't, you know, what I'm saying is, Political make people pay a political price for it, Uh, and 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 I just don't know. And that's what I loved about the Clyburn moment in in twenty because white folks knew exactly what Jim Clyburn was saying. He was like, "Okay, you want this vote because you don't you don't get South Carolina unless I say so, right." You need Columbia, you need Richmond County, you need clusters who look to me as literally the lone representative for this space. Right. right. And without me, you ain't going to get it. So, and so that's the that's the kind of leadership in that moment we need translated into policy moments. Because that's a political space. That's, you know, he was he played a political arm there because the Dems needed votes and he had all the votes. Same is true when you get down to 
putting the policy in motion is the Dems and the Republicans need the vote. They need that space. So leverage something, work it. I mean, I just, I, it's so frustrating that that legislation failed the way it did. Yeah. And, and, and yes, we can look at Scott and the Republicans and go, y'all did this. But I also have to say, well, okay, why, why did it happen? There was no other way Schumer could, be, could have been leveraged to make Schumer actually do what... I mean, Schumer, I mean, just to put it out there from my perspective, Schumer is no Mitch McConnell. No, and... and, 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 and before, to run in the Senate. <laughs> and so my, my perspective... Because Mitch would have had that vote. Mitch would have had, had that vote. Nothing would have moved... If this was a priority, nothing. If that were judicial, if, if it was with Mitch McConnell, and that was a ju- a, a vote on on ju- ju- a judicial uh, a nomination or a yeah. change in the, in the judiciary, nothing would have moved. That vote. Nothing yeah. would have moved until that vote got done. You know, and I think that that you know, for me, that is exactly it, right? Like it, it's it's the notion of what are you actually willing to fight for when it comes down to it, and and. There were a lot of things that you said that I've been thinking about a, a lot. And at the end of the day, I feel like Democrats have historically in the modern era of politics operated as though there is some sort of moral high ground um, that allows for these intrinsic victories for us to hang our hats on. I can, tell you, what they are, how they are, I can tell you what that is. It, it, it's... It, it's a folly. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's a folly to me in as much as, number one, you're not getting things done. That's number one. Number right. two, um, the other side is playing a different game by different rules, and that's why you keep having the troubles that you are. So at what point are you going to, are you going to keep complaining about it being unfair, or are you going to roll your sleeves up and actually get in the mud? And, well, know, that's, that's the real test. That's absolutely real. And they, they operate as if here's the bottom line they operate as if the black vote has no place else to go that's the thing so that's they, the thing. they 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 think that that vote is one that well where they're not going to vote for republicans who you know think that they're fine people on both sides right yeah, yeah. who think that our ancestors came from shithole countries they're not going to vote for them mm-hmm. until they saw the vote move Correct. And they saw that vote move first among black men in 2020. And now they've seen that that vote move over the last two years even more. So that it's now actually not just blacks that they've got to worry about. It's the Hispanic vote that they've got to worry about. So Republicans, we're so good at cynicism. We put up all these these, uh, community centers in these neighborhoods, right? You know, working and trying to get the Hispanic and the black vote to do what with it? We right. just need you to vote for our candidate on election day. That's all we need you to do because right. shit ain't happening after that. Or <laughs> you worry about that. Yeah, we need you to do that. But to the how we started the conversation, if you feel that this side over here is not helping you and, and addressing your agenda. You're going to look elsewhere, and while it may be the least appealing, you're at least going to say, well, maybe maybe I can get a little something, or maybe if I gave them a little something, meaning a little vote, I can get a little something back. People start rationalizing how they make their moves politically, and the parties, um, both parties, historically have just kind of held firm in believing that you have no place to go. Yeah. That, that's how the tribalism works. That's how. That's why people get these emails saying, "Well, why haven't you supported this, or where have you been on that?" To sort of reinforce the tribal nature of our politics, the voters are realizing, "I'm not locked in. I can move." And while, yeah, I may not be all about what the Republicans are are selling, I'm not getting anything over here. Nothing. So maybe maybe I'll either check out or I'll just slide over here. So, you know, you'll see this, you know, uptick in black male support for Donald Trump from moving from, you know, 12 percent to 18 percent. You'll see more, more and more black women 
um, at least casting an eye in that direction because they're they're strapped. What I'm saying is I appreciate that and understand that, but know that when you do that, you're not you're not getting anything more here. That's why you have to force you have to force the hand that is at least advocating democracy. Okay. Again, you know, from a from a place of reason and persuasion, that message, you 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 really need to go and just say, look, hey, hey, I know I was the RNC guy <laughs> for a minute, but I, I I can tell you how to leverage this and language this in a way that's going to make right. sense because. Again, as as I talk to people who are relatively apathetic for the reasons that I mentioned, that never comes up. But I do think that it is a logical and cogent and persuasive way of framing it that I can say, all right, because I cannot in good conscience tell myself nor any of the people who I'm aligned with, hold your nose and vote for another couple of elections because that is no longer working. I think- You talked about something that uh, I I did want to get into, and that was uh, black men and the electorate, because a lot of black men, and I'm going to call it for what it is, because it's a very specific demographic, so I have to name it. Straight black men, Mm -hmm. in many respects, are feeling disregarded by the Democratic Party, and they Mm -hmm. feel like in terms of identity, race is really, really low, but in terms of everything else where they seem or feel seen, there are some attractive points on the alternative side, or at least even if they're not as attractive, the way that Democrats are approaching the conversation makes them feel either unseen or forgotten. I believe that we do a lot of yelling at the consumer about not making choices or the choices that they make, as opposed to being more critical of the actual store regarding the actual products that they're putting in front of the consumer. Is that backlash that people are responding to in terms of the black male that I described, is that warranted or is it a little bit overblown? I, I think it, no, I don't think it's unwarranted. I, I think there is um, uh, multiple layers there to be concerned about. What, what Trump is able to do is Trump, appeals to the machismo. Yep, absolutely. Trump Trump appeals to the, I control my business, I control my women, I control everything around me, I'm the man, Mm -hmm. right? And that has a, 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 a high level of appeal among Hispanic and Black men. Yep. It, it just does. Um, so certainly Hispanic, it's, it's much more cultural, um, for African American men, given how our how we've been fractured from our culture um, over four hundred years, yep. displaced from our culture, it speaks um, to us in a in a different way. It speaks to us in a different way because right. of our our condition, our experience, exactly, it and speaks- the way that we have to navigate manhood. It it we reson- it resonates with us like from an aspirational place. Yes, yes. Exactly. Exactly. We are our society. Our cultural society is matriarchal, mm-hmm. um, and and there's 400 years of history for why that is. Um, and so, men today um, uh, feel displaced culturally. Yes. So, when you have someone who says to you, "Well, what do you got to lose? Come with me." Um, when you know he hear different for, for he, he differently. Yeah. when he you know he's seen hanging out um in the in the nineties with the hip hip hop culture right. acting like he's one of them when he, at the same time he's advocating for killing the Central Park Five right those young those young men black men um when he's saying you know that uh you know talking about <clears throat> empowering oneself. At the same time, he is dismissing um, what what's happening to young black men within who come in across law enforcement. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. So, making that connection to help people understand that this is this is literally like the Wizard of Oz here. Mm. 
Trust me, you're seeing all of this. And you're just not seeing what's going on behind the curtain. Back the curtain, you see a a fat, over overweight, yellow haired, uh, you know, wannabe. I mean, it, this is not this is not the image of manhood that you want to uh, ascribe to or aspire to. So there is there is that. I attended um, a few weeks ago um, the Black Black Men Vote Summit which was focused on uh, the very thing we're talking about, engaging black men in the community to, to come into the space, um, recognizing all the things that have, have distorted and, and, and put pressure on black men, um, but at the same time recognizing the power that they can exercise with their vote. Yeah. And that they can they can get their issues, their agendas, because they're they're like anything. They're, you know, things that black women are concerned about and they're things that the black community are concerned about. Yeah. But there are also things that black men That's as right. men are concerned about. That's right. And so giving voice to those concerns. And, 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 and I want to I want to point out really quickly, I, please hold your thought. In terms of anyone who's listening to this. And thinking, yeah, I use the example of police reform and I've used the example and I've talked about how particularly during this election cycle, crime has been sensationalized and weaponized and racialized in a way that the GOP has tried to use it to energize their base. But guess what? I am someone who's never been arrested, never been in jail. Pretty sure Michael is someone who's never been arrested, never been in jail. There are a number of other issues other than criminal justice reform. Yes, we care about that. We care about police reform. But there are a number of different ways that safety shows up, whether it's economic safety and security, whether it's housing, whether it's security around me being a small business owner. There are a number of different ways that safety, and that's just one issue, right, shows up that matter uniquely to me as a black man. It's not just criminal justice. It's well, not. And that, and that's not the that's system. I'm saying. No, no. I think that's an important point to make and an important distinction to make because um, we get stereotyped like everybody else. Sure. And, and I can tell you as a husband, a father, um, as a young black man growing up in Washington, D.C., um, my aspirations were not around avoiding jail. Right, right. <laughs> right. My aspirations were like, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be whatever. I want to be able to buy a home. I want to be able to raise a family. Um, so those aspirations are the same for black men. We want to provide for our families. We want to provide for our community and we want to provide for ourselves. So the space for us right now as black men is how do we create our futures for our kids and our community? We want to have an active role in that. And what I say to black men is you've always had the power. It's always been there. And what you need to do now is just exercise it. You just have to say to yourselves, this is what I want for me. And this is what I want for mine. And this is what I'm going to go after. And, and the, use the politics Use the system in a way to help begin to achieve those ends. You've got to you've got to recognize the connection between your individual needs, your community needs, and what the country as a whole is going to need. Right now, we have one party that has fermented insurrection, and and did not speak out against those those of its own making. Those individuals who were there carrying their MAGA flags calling black police officers the N-word, treating them like trash, right? Right. Well, how do you think that translates beyond that moment? <laughs> if they don't speak out against it then, when will, they're gonna, when will they speak out against it? So self-interest matters. I get the whole machismo thing, but at the end of the day, that ain't us. That's not, that's not what our storyline has always been about is how masculine we are. It's about how strong we are, mm. how determined we are, how much as black men, we stand apart from others. That's why they came after us. That's why they still see us as a threat, yes, as, lawyer, right. as lawyers, as politicians, as doctors, as engineers, this is why the educational system. Go look at. I don't have to tell you. Look at the studies that show how black kid, black boys are educated versus and targeted their white counterparty standpoint in a different way. 
when was the moment that you decided that you had to step away from where the Republican Party was headed in the way that you did, where Fox News was headed in the way that it, the way that it was? When was when was the moment? Uh, the uh, 2015, 2015-16 election cycle when I watched um, uh, men and women that I knew uh, fold like a cheap suit under Donald Trump. Okay. Standing in that primary, I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. And, and, and reaching out to many folks at that time and saying, you guys are getting punked. You cannot, you have to take this brother. He's easy to take down. He's at three, four, 5% approval yeah, yeah. in the polls right now. You can't let him well, have you, track. You saw it coming. Oh, saw it coming. And then access Hollywood tape was like, okay, that, that was, that was, that was the last, last straw. I knew at that moment, particularly given what was happening internally, trying to fix it and clean it up as opposed to making the full throated separation from it that uh, we just opened up Pandora's box and jumped in it. <laughs> we didn't even let what was in the box get out. We just jumped in the box. I, I on air, impromptu, asked you to be a guest on the podcast and you on air accepted and you kept your word. And so with that alone, I just want to thank you so much. No, brother, I am so good to be podcast. with you, man. Well, let me let me extend the favor to you uh, and the opportunity to come on my podcast uh, and we can continue this conversation and we'll make that happen as soon as possible. For all the for all the listeners out there, what is your podcast called and where can you find it? So, you know, dude, we spent a lot of time and, and, and actually quite a bit of money uh, to, to come up with a, a name that was inviting and exciting. Sure. Uh, we settled on the Michael Steele podcast. <laughs> I feel like I'm, 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 you know, with the Charles right. Coleman podcast is making sense. Yeah, I, I don't think I got ripped off in the money I spent to come up right. with that original name. But, you know, maybe I need to go back and look. But no. <laughs> <laughs> All great. Listen, Michael, it's been such a pleasure. I always say I work with dope people. And this is a perfect example. No, I appreciate it, brother. Very Ladies much. and gentlemen, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Make sure you're following the Michael Steele podcast. I will be on there sooner than later and make sure that you are liked and subscribed to the Charles Coleman podcast. This is the new home for black brothers. I want to thank a very, very special guest, Michael Steele for an amazing conversation. And we'll be right back. We are about to get into our favorite segment of the day, which was rules of engagement. Our conversation about adult love, sex and relationships about to get started with my girl, Jisha Rubin was on the couch. But before we do, Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the screen. Make sure you're following all of us on all platforms, wherever podcasts are heard, so you can get exclusive content back behind the scenes, all that other good stuff that happens at the Charles Coleman Podcast. So today on Blue, today on <laughs> Rules of Engagement, G, um, I'm going to just ask a really basic question. Okay. We have had this conversation. So I know what you said before. So I'm gonna see if you're gonna take it. Be honest with the people. Um, has monogamy run its course? Has monogamy as a lifespan? Has it run its? Yeah, has it run its course? It has not. Oh, <laughs> don't do it! Don't do it, G. It's an interesting concept. Monogamy is a very complex thing. You know, I think that there should be. I think monogamy is a real thing, but it should be timed. Like your license, how it has you gotta a renewal. Renew. <laughs> you got to renew monogamy. You got to renew monogamy. To like say like, that's a very interesting concept to be like, okay, so. Like if your license, if you get to be in a vehicle that can go up to 100 miles an hour. That's what I'm saying. With a re You have to renew it. That's what I'm saying. Relationships so, need renewals. So that's There's what I'm saying. Be a so I'm 43, right? Like if you're 45 and you're like, yeah, I hope to live until... 80, 90 years old, right? That means you got a half a century, potentially. If you get married mm. tomorrow, that means you got a half a century with the same partner. So that renewal concept, like, it, it makes sense. It like, makes so, sense. You know, but, I just, but like, the reason, and here's why I ask. I ask because we have so many conversations about cheating. Right. Guys cheating, girls cheating, wives cheating, husbands cheating. To me... I'm starting, and not even starting, I've long thought maybe the issue isn't the individual, maybe the issue was the system. Right. So that's why I'm like, 
I mean, it's an interesting space. So, you know, obviously, you know, I'm anti-cheating because, you know, black women don't cheat. And Yo, we're you going be to consistently... it out here. You are so on cold. I like, need you to just accept it. Just let's get past that part, right? So the but pro- hold on, hold on. we want monogamous relationships, right? Where we're exclusively that person. Does that count but with there the chicks is... who cheat with me or who have cheated with me? Does that count then? Yes, that counts too, How? because you're the reason. So we're gonna give them a pass. But let me finish my passes. narrative. We're okay? doing passes. Word. So we want monogamous relationships, but then there's a the reality of life. Life happens, things happen. And there are spaces in which women find themselves- With their legs open and it just falls in, right? That's the spaces? No, it doesn't really just happen like that, but you know, <laughs> usually things happen. And sometimes okay. there's a situation in which we will find ourselves compromised, but our intention was to stay in a monogamous space. However, what had happened is that, you know, Things change and something happened. But, you know, when... Nah. Okay, all right, I'm going to stop bullshit. No, so the real talk is we want monogamy, right? But we don't want to embrace the reality that shit happens. And there, there are mis- opportunities in which we make mistakes. Now, the question is, is, is it a mistake or do you not want to be in a monogamous relationship? Let me ask you this. Is monogamy and exclusivity, are they the same thing? Because I think that, like, you could be exclusive with someone... Mm-hmm. And exclusivity can be built around certain aspects of your relationship. Like, I, I don't go on dates with you. I don't go with anyone else. I don't, you know, take you in public. I'm just I'm, having sex with other people? Potentially. But, like, whatever whatever the boundaries are, right? Monogamy to a certain time. This is my theory. That's your theory. So my theory is you have to what be do you monogamous. Get, like three years? I mean... The excitement <laughs> in the sex. What does that when mean? When you start to bore me, then I have the right to move out of the space. And I just need to let you know that I'm moving on. That's really the bottom <laughs> line. My whole thing is... Hold on. You're moving you on from the be, relationship or moving on to... From the whole relationship. You got to get out. So you, you gotta just got to leave. leave. You got to leave. You got to leave. That's why you need the renewal. If you don't pass the test, you don't get another license. Oh, you can't so be out here DWI so like, and getting a license to keep going. Nah. So, 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 like, what's the so what's the difference? If you're gonna take it that way, that's a very interesting approach. What's the difference between like that's serial monogamy? Like, I ain't really like. I'm committed to you as long as I'm committed to you until I'm not committed to you. When I'm not committed to, I need to move. But there's out a of the time. Space. But you're saying from the from the gate, you're like there's a time frame. There's a time frame. We need to start to embrace this idea because we're cheating. Yes, Women it's are cheating. happening. It's happening. Men are cheating. It's a real thing. So let's just time it, man. On average, marriage license seven years. After that seven, we need to reevaluate everything. So seven's the magic number for you. Seven's a number. It's an interesting space. I'm telling you, after seven, things get crazy. After, what do you think happens? People start getting complacent. They get comfortable. You know, they... They're not really putting real work into the space. And you get bored. Yeah, you, I, I, other things start to interest you. Other I, people start to interest you. I think that you. that like really doesn't work in as much as like... The reason I don't think it works is because if you're in a relationship and you spend seven years there, you've built something. Like right? you're, you're building something with them. So then to be like at seven, deuces, I'm walking away. I'm not saying you deuces, you walk away. But if you want to cheat, you need to get out. You can't just stay here. What's the difference? What's the difference? It's a big difference. We're not together and we're together. If you're cheating, if you're going outside the relationship, you need something more. So why are you still here? But what I'm saying is in your model, you're like, uh, you know, we get the seven-year license and then you do this seven-year bid. Right. And then you come out. And you come out because you're not happy anymore. You feel like you need something what else. What does it mean that, that you're maintains not... maintains the integrity of the monogamy. Why do you think that that means that you're not happy? Why does that mean that you're not happy? Well, what are you associating with your desire to drop your tiki leak in other spaces? I ate chicken every day for seven years and I want pasta tonight. Nah, it's not. you're not going to make chicken and pasta shushuan. It's not the same thing, my friend. It, it, you can't. It, it's but not. it doesn't mean that I'm not happy. Like, that's the thing. I think... I'm, I'm not happy. Oh, shit. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, you're not <laughs> understanding. The minute you start venturing out, I'm not going to be happy. So I, I, again, I think that it's. I think it's. Really, you might still be happy because now you got your cake and you eating. You doing everything. But you're doing the same thing. You just I'm like not, I'm gonna just wait I'm for three, four, five years. I'm trying to explain to you that I'm committed in un- this space until until I'm not. And when I'm not, then I'm gonna be committed in the new space. I just think that 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 that's a different version of monogamy, but I still don't think it's gonna work. I I because I, because here's the thing. You Let don't me ask know you this. until you try. Let it. me ask you this. 
Simple, straightforward question. Okay. You are a woman, and I need you to tell the truth. I'm going to be honest. Is monogamy working? No. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to end another segment of Rules of Engagement. We have been on the Charles Coleman Podcast. Because you're all cheaters. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of our conversation on love, sex, and relationships. My name is Charles Coleman. This is Gloria Sherubin. We will catch y'all on another episode of your new favorite podcast, the new home for black brilliance, the Charles Coleman Podcast. Until next week, peace. Peace.